Well, this morning we are going to be um, continuing in our series called Ordering the Chaos. And if you haven't been here, uh, we've been in this series where we've been talking about uh, the realities of most of us, if we were being honest and asked how we feel like life is going and how we are doing, we would probably say that we are the conductor on uh, the, the, the struggle bus. We are not feeling great. We are maybe surviving. A couple of us might feel like we're thriving, but most of us feel like our life is just going one place to another, feeling kind of stressed and just like everything is not totally together. We deeply believe in this uh, reality that when Jesus um, came and he gave us this promise that he came to give us life and life uh, more abundantly or, or to the full, that he really meant that. We've been talking about this reality that a disordered life will lead to death, that as the Apostle Paul uh, puts it, that, that our God is a God of peace or shalom or wholeness, not of disorder or chaos. And we've been talking about things like our desires and our consumption. We've talked about our relationships in our time. And this morning, we are going to talk about what do we do about money and possessions and our finances. And before you check out, I know people hate talking about that sort of stuff in church. You would rather me talk about sex because it's less personal. Um, <laughs> anecdotally, I, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, it's kind of a joke, but as I've sat with many couples doing premarital counseling as they get married and things like that, I have been amazed how often people get much more squeamish talking about money than they do about sex and so many other things. It's, and it's really an interesting thing because money can feel like this weird place where a lot of people are like, can I do a prenup with Jesus? Like, I love the idea of him having my heart. I love the idea of, uh, uh, of, of heaven and, and peace and joy and shalom. But can I keep this? And so this morning, I want to talk about this because I actually think this is one of the most important topics for us as followers of Jesus to get right. Here's why. It's wild to think about uh, as I was doing some study, that there are roughly 2,350 verses in the Bible that are concerning money, possessions, things like that. Now, that is twice as much as the amount there is for faith and prayer combined. Jesus had a ton to say about money and possessions and things of that nature. Nearly about 15% of everything that he talked about had to do with the topic. In fact, he loved to tell parables, these stories that weren't necessarily true stories, but gave a larger truth. 16 out of 38 of his parables dealt with the topic of money. Honestly, the only subject that Jesus talked about with more consistency was the kingdom of God, which is kind of his biggie. This is something that is deeply important, that God cares that we get it right, because so much of our spiritual life our attitudes, our actions concerning money have the opportunity to make or break our realities of living life and life to the fullest. It has so much to do with ultimately where our heart is. As we talked about last week, Jesus uh, gave this famous teaching where he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
And it's a fair question for every single one of us to, 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 to categorize our life, to really think about where are we investing our time, our talent, and our treasure. And, and, and where those things are, where would we find our hearts? Because I, I will say this, you cannot afford to get your relationship with money wrong. This is something that you can't afford to get wrong both in this life and your desires for where your eternity lies. Because so much about um, judgment and so much about um, actual, like, the proof is in the pudding, the idea of talk being cheap shows up in what do we actually do with what we've been given in our life. This whole series has been this idea of, uh, of thinking about our life through the idea of stewardship or management, that if God has entrusted us with things, what will we do with it? And this morning, I, 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 I want to frame our conversation together uh, around this um, framework of, uh, of every single one of us, I think, desire to have peace in our life, to have wholeness. And in particular, particular, I guarantee every single one of us would love to have that when it comes to our finances. And I want to give sort of these three um, Ps that I think if we, can, if we can really get these things right, I believe that God will not only... Um, bless us to a place where we will have peace in our life, but also things will really work out well. And here they are. Uh, it's perspective, planning, and praise. Perspective, planning, and praise. And we're going to talk about each one of them this morning. Now, our perspective, we have to be um, careful about how we understand, how we think about money. Because the reality is we oftentimes are given all sorts of views about it. There is um, maybe our family of origins view, where maybe we didn't have enough, or maybe we had an abundance. Um, maybe we uh, grew up uh, hearing the great poet, the notorious B.I.G., who said, mo money, mo problems. If you know what I'm talking about, it's a very good thing that you're in here. Grace is real, right? But most of us, I would say, have a wrong perspective about money, in particular before we begin to follow Jesus. And oftentimes, before we truly begin to follow Jesus, I would even say oftentimes people who grew up in church, around church people, things like that, have a negative or maybe skewed view of what we're really thinking about, what God really desires for us. But I think so much of our perspective, so much of, of how we think affects what we do, the plans that we make, how we praise, all of these things, every bit of this matters. And getting the perspective right is important. One of the first things that, that, that I think is so important when it comes to our perspective to get right, um, we learn from uh, Psalm 24 when it says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Now, here's one of the interesting things that I think can take a long time to um, untrain our mind for, which is this idea that we get um, from the time that we are really little, right? If you think about it, a, a tiny child, one of their favorite words is mine. This is mine. I have had some fun recently with my seven and four-year-old when they try to tell me certain things are theirs. Like, you didn't buy this. But we get this idea, right, oftentimes that we have the ownership of all these things. Yet, yet the Bible teaches us that everything that there is, is ultimately God's, that every single one of us are stewards, we're managers, we, we are entrusted with these things, and, and we have to be re reminded that everything we have and earn 
is all God's. Now, that is not to put aside the realities of hard work being a great thing. That's not to put aside this reality of like feeling accomplished to work hard. There's nothing wrong with all of those sort of things. But oftentimes, one of the, 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 the fastest ways to close our heart to God and in particular things that he may be calling us to is to begin categorizing everything as this is mine. You know, we talk around here uh, at South Creek about this idea of generosity. And, and an easy definition, really, of generosity is to live open-handedly. And so the opposite of being generous is to do the opposite. Close-fisted. I've oftentimes told the story about my, my son Gideon, who is seven now, but when he was a, um, uh, an, an, uh, more of a baby, kind of the one-years-old way, he would sometimes um, cry desiring to, to get like a snack or a bottle, and oftentimes he would just be holding tons and tons of toys and everything in our house that he could find, because young children like that are essentially hoarders who are walking around. And oftentimes, there would be this struggle and this frustration because he desired for the things that he needed, like milk or food or things like that, yet he could not let go of the things that he desired that he was clinging on to. And of course, the only solution, right, uh, to actually get what he needed was to let go of the things that he thought he wanted and needed. When our perspective begins changing, um, it's such a good thing. I've been reading this book by uh, a guy named Bob, and I, I love this quote from, from uh, this book. It says this, chasing the provision rather than the provider is a mistake. So many people I know, even good, well-meaning followers of Jesus, oftentimes are constantly thinking about how they can make more money, how they can accumulate more wealth, more experiences, all of these things. And oftentimes, they might even have okay motives involved in it. But I will say this, as one of my friends and mentors says, uh, if we miss Jesus, we miss everything. And so many of our problems, even our financial problems, I believe would be solved if we began to really pursue the provider more than just the provision. Because ultimately, the goal would not be the provision, but it would be relationship with the provider. Again, we aren't owners, we are stewards, we are managers. Now there's this story that I want to read real quick uh, that comes from uh, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25. This is a parable that Jesus told, and, and I think it gets some of this idea of this uh, perspective of stewardship right, and I, I want to read it. It's going to be on the screen behind me, and it says this, again, these are the words of Jesus, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Key word, his wealth. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to their ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went, one, went at once, put his money to work, and gained five bags more. So also with the one, two bags of gold gained two more. Then the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received five bags of gold brought the other five bags. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained you five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man who had two bags also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained you two more. 
His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant, for you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went and hid the gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that, I, knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that I could return. I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. Whoever has been given more, they will be, have an abundance. Whoever does not, even what they have will be taken from them and thrown with the worthless servant outside into the darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What an uplifting and beautiful story. This is one I was going to read my boys for a bedtime story later. You know, this story reminds me of this reality that our choices have consequences. We oftentimes, many of us live our life as if there's not consequences. And I oftentimes find people... um, kind of looking like, what happened when there are consequences? The reality of our perspective of understanding that all of this is God's and someday someday we are going to have to account for it, and that goes beyond our finances, is a huge perspective shift for many of us that could really save us a ton of grief, not only in this life, but in the next. One of the things I love about this story is that it reminds us of this reality that every single person got something. And who got what is not about fairness. It's not, none of us are to question ultimately the provider, the master, about who got what and why. You know, it's this reality that every single one of us are dealt a hand of cards, right? If our life is a hand of cards, what God is not concerned about is who got what. He's concerned about with how we play, how we manage, how we steward. And the best way that those of us who desire to be followers of Jesus can play the game right when it comes to our finances is begin first with recognizing this isn't ours to play with anyways. This is ours to manage. This is ours to steward. This is ours to deal with. But when we begin to start with that framework, automatically it changes, right? Because it's this reality that there's consequence to what we're doing with it. Like it actually matters, not only for our life, it's more than accumulating possessions and wealth and trips and all these sort of things. Like there is eternal consequence for it. And when our perspective begins to shift too, that this is not our master either, that money ultimately is not something that we're trying to follow so that way we can feel joy and contentment. Again, we do not get joy and contentment and peace from those things. We get it from the provider. We have to continue to go back to the provider. When our perspective changes, everything else can change. Here's the second P, planning. I hate this one. I I don't know about you. uh, My my wife Hunter and I um, years ago did the the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace. Maybe many of you have done that. And they they oftentimes talk about it in in a marriage. There's oftentimes there is um, the free spirit in the nerd. I have gotten better, but I will say, and my wife is not a nerd, 
She's just very smart. Um, but I don't always enjoy this part. And I found, honestly, many people don't. There, there's this reality that I know so many people who live life, like, like there's almost been this pendulum swing, I think. For many generations, there were people who maybe um, just tried to work as many hours as they can, as hard as they can, to make as much money as they can, no matter what, because that's what life would be. And there's also been a pendulum swing in some ways where some people have desired to just spend as much as they can, <laughs> do as much things as they can to enjoy this. And that's great in life, but I found so many people don't follow just this basic principle of don't spend more than what you earn. I mean, again, we talked about last week the, the realities of, of, of the trillions of dollars of debt that people in the United States have. And some of them are from crisis moments and, and moments that were unexpected, but some of them were also just from poor time management and money management and things like that. I want to just say this. Planning isn't a lack of faith. It is a mark of wisdom. One of the awesome things that the Bible talks about over and over is that to seek wisdom, to lean into wisdom, is a really, really, really good thing. That oftentimes to experience the life of, of abundance is a life that actually follows wisdom. It chooses not to make unwise choices. I, I oftentimes think about um, how I, I don't actually think more often than not God wants us to be like little children on couches. Y'all ever been around a, a four-year-old with blind confidence who just believes that if I jump off a couch at any moment, dad will catch me, even if he's not looking. And here's the thing. So far, I'm pretty good. You just think his head looked like that. But some of us live our life where we make incredibly stupid choices. I mean that in love. I'm saying this as your friend because I'm also looking at myself. And then we kind of like look at God like, are you going to bail me out of this one or not? There's so much about like actually making plans that are important. Budgeting, planning, saving, giving are all faithful acts of obedience that bring order to our lives. And they can seem boring and it can seem like, oh, I don't want to do this. But one of the things that I've found as I get older is so much of faith is not these big monumentous moments. They're small acts of obedience and faithfulness every single day. They're little things. They make a huge difference. In, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 14, Jesus gave this other small little um, kind of parable teaching when he says this, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish it. There's so many people who I honestly think their life would become so much better if they sat down and they counted the cost. And they counted the cost in their financial world, in their relational world, in their spiritual world. If they actually were to, again, look at this. You know, Dave Ramsey talks about with, with money to name every dollar. We talked a few weeks ago about, in some, in some ways, naming our minutes, our hours, our days. The Bible says, you know, again, to number your days is, is, is a heart of wisdom, is what is grown from that. But there's so much that's good about this, and so many of us, again, live life kind of recklessly. In Proverbs 
chapter 21, it says this, the plans of the diligent certainly lead to profit, but anyone who is reckless certainly becomes poor. Now again, I am not a personal finance wizard or anything like that, but again, I think if we began to surrender to Jesus and begin to just say, I want to, leave, I want to experience life of wisdom and peace and wholeness, one of the things that I have found in my own life is that, um, how many of you guys, have you guys heard about kind of the viral thing? I feel like they'll talk about girl math, where it's like, well, if I'm already at Target, I might as well get Starbucks, because otherwise I have to, you know, share, you know, all that, or, or you know, maybe if I pay $50, I got to get to the $50 free shipping thing, so I'm basically making money by spending 12 extra dollars. Now, here's the thing, guys, we do the same thing. It's true. Sometimes we, we can do that. But one of the things that's awesome is that um, God, I think, would fail some math tests. What I mean by that is oftentimes um, God can make a way in financial situations that don't make sense. I'm living proof that there have been moments where things shouldn't have added up and somehow they did. In particular, there's been moments when I've chosen to be generous and and open-handed when it didn't make sense and somehow God provided. Um, God's math always works out in the right way. It might make us scratch our heads. It might make us sweat a little bit. But it always works out. And I'll just say this. Freedom in your finances will only come from trusting and leaning into God's way. You can earn all that you want. But I've also found some of the most wealthy people in the world still are some of the most unhappy people. Until we begin to lean into all of God's ways in which not only are we ordering our ways and are being wise, but also we get to this last P, which is praise. And this is one of the most fun parts about it. Part of the reason that we make the planning part, the boring parts, is ultimately, at least for me, it's the praise part. It's ultimately this idea that if my perspective has shifted and my planning are as such, it better enables me to get to praise God with my finances. And praising the provider is best done by giving back to what he cares most about. You know, I, I oftentimes think about it. I, I, I didn't really understand it until I had kids. But as I've gotten older, um, I, I truly mean it oftentimes when I, when I say the best way that um, someone can love me, can give me a gift of, of any sort of thing, is if someone does something for my kids. Like, like, honestly, I could care less if you never got me anything, but if you um, got my kids a gift or things like that, like, that would be me, bring me so much joy and so much goodness. It would make me feel so great. And I oftentimes think one of the things that, that, that most gets God excited is when his kids take care of one another, when they see needs and they, they provide. You know, again, I said we, we, we have these seven core values, and one of them is to be radical in generosity. That we believe that being generous is core to who God is, and it means that it is core to us as those who decide to follow Jesus. And that we live open-handedly with our time, our talent, and our treasure. And in a world that is oftentimes looking at its own self-interests and and trying to seek uh, reaching some sort of mountaintop, we want to be a community that is set apart, who is looking to meet the needs, who is trying to honor God and advance his kingdom here on earth so much farther. And so much of this comes from the reality of followers of Jesus living open-handedly. I was talking to my friend Tim before uh, service day about there's this book that I read this summer called Gospel Patrons. 
And it's this fascinating um, book full of stories of, uh, of oftentimes when God was doing these significant works of um, evangelism or revival or um, uh, mission work, how oftentimes there were people behind the scenes, oftentimes people maybe who, who God had blessed with great wealth, who felt this call and this desire to be invested in this. And it was such a cool, encouraging um, reminder of just our awesome opportunity to praise God by helping in his works. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, um, this, this goes way back. We're reminded of these words when God tells us that all must give as they are able to according to the blessings given to them by the Lord your God. Now, one of the things I love about the phrasing of this verse is this idea that we are giving based off the blessings we have received. It's not a certain set number or amount. It's not about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. And one of the things is I think every single one of us, if we're honest too, we don't get an excuse because every single one of us, if we could sit back and say, um, I, I don't think most of us could go a day without saying God didn't bless me in some sort of way. Even just the breath in our lungs. You know, I think about this week as um, our dear friend, um, Brother Mike Still went home to be um, with Jesus, and I, I think about um, the handful of times I got to see him in the hospital in the last few weeks, and just one of his huge pieces of gratitude every day um, was just to have breath in his lungs, to have another day um, to know God, to be known by God, and to be loved by him. And um, again, I, I, I oftentimes just think about what the blessing of a relationship like that is, um, but every single one of us are blessed in some sort of way. And so every single one of us has the opportunity, no matter what, to be able to invest back into what God's up to and what God's doing. In Hebrews chapter um, 3, verse 16, it says, Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And one of the things I, I think about when it comes to this idea of praise, when it comes to this idea of giving, when it comes to this idea of generosity, is ultimately it's not, it, it really isn't just about the things that get to be done because of that. So much of giving, I think, and generosity in our lives is every time that we do it, especially in consistent manners, is it helps us take ourselves off the throne of our lives. And it helps us go back to the perspective of who God is and what everything that we have, uh, who it belongs to. And it reminds us of this thing where, it's, where, where, where we remind ourselves of our first love. You know, I think back to um, when my wife Hunter and I first started dating. And you're, you're at that time where you will do whatever, right? You will drive so many hours with such little sleep. You will buy things probably you can't afford because you don't care because it's about love. One of the awesome things about when we have things in order, when we have things straight, it sets us up to better be able to give back to God, to get excited. You know, when, when, I, when my wife and I, when we sit and dream, one of our dreams is um, as God continues to bless, like we get excited thinking about the awesome things we could get to be a part of through generosity that only happen if we are faithful in little things now. Like I don't know about you, but like those people who just send those anonymous checks certain places, goodness gracious, that's got to feel like the coolest thing in the world. 
And I don't think it came by happenstance. I think it came because a heart was changed. Plans were made. And they took the opportunity to praise God through it. You see, as we kind of begin to land the plane, one of the cool things about all of this is God doesn't need anything from you, but he wants so much for you. And that can only happen when you truly surrender all. It can only happen when you truly surrender all. And um, take this as you will, but if, if you haven't surrendered your finances to him, you have not surrendered all. Again, Jesus is not looking for a prenuptial relationship with you where you say, like, only so much here. One of the beautiful things is just the fact that if Jesus was willing to give every bit to us, why should we hold back from him? There's a story in the Gospel of Mark that's one of my favorites uh, that Jesus points out. And it's such a, um, such a beautiful reminder. Every time I read it, I feel a sense of the Holy Spirit convicting my heart. Because I don't know about you, but it's always easy to find, I'm, I'm actually really good at it, um, finding excuses to not do the right thing. Man, it's too cloudy today, I can't go out. Ah, it's too sunny today, I can't go do this. I love this story. This is what it says. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small silver copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth but she, out of her poverty, put everything in, all she had to live on. Now, this small little act of faith and obedience, I, I, one of the things I love about the Gospels, I love about the stories, is how there are small moments that otherwise no one would ever know that Jesus elevated. And one of the things I love about this story is I want a heart like this widow. Now, some of us, when we hear this story, are like, what a fool. What an idiot. Why would you do this? Yeah, I see a woman full of faith. I see a woman who is saying, God has been so good to me. Let me be good back. God's never let me down before. I'm not about to hold back from him now. And there is so much goodness that happens in our lives when we take those steps and we see how God shows up. I know if I took time here this morning, we, we probably wouldn't get to lunch and we might get hangry, but there's probably people in this room who could tell stories about God's faithfulness when it didn't make sense. They could tell about moments where they chose to praise him even when it didn't maybe seem prudent. And how he showed up. I love that. See, one of the things I've learned in my time on this earth is that you will never regret being faithful and generous. It is part of our worship. And it's as much a part of, uh, of our worship as is reading scripture, as singing songs, as praying. It is an act of worship. And one of the awesome things about it is every time we do it, God shows up. And every time we do it, God has joy 
And every time we do it, we are reminded that we are not as important as we think we are. We are reminded that we are more than our desires and our wants. And we get to be a part, truly, of the family of God. Again, Jesus said this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the question to wrestle with as the band's going to come out and we're going to sing this last song is, where is your treasure? Is it something that you are holding on to close-fistedly? Is it something that you have no plan for and is bringing chaos and stress and extra tension in your life? And is it something that you're willing to praise him with? Every single one of us can make a new choice today to ensure that we are experiencing peace in our life with these things rather than chaos. Every single one of us can praise God with these things. And every single one of us can see how God will show up in a mighty way that maybe we didn't even think was possible. I guarantee if you begin to live open-handedly, God will continue to open your heart in newer and more beautiful ways to him. Chase the provider, not the provision. Would you guys stand with me as we're going to pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are um, just so grateful again for the fact that you are the great provider. Um, that there's not a single thing in this life that, um, that surprises us, that surprises you. Father, I pray that you would change our hearts when it comes to these things. That, Father, you would change our perspectives. That, Father, you would give us the encouragement the accountability, the, 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 the prodding to make plans that bring glory and honor to you. That, Father, we would not make unwise choices that lead to chaos and stress and friction, but, Father, we would make wise decisions. And, Father, I pray that you would give us the courage and the conviction and just the joy from praising you in every aspect of our lives including praising you for being generous with our finances. So, Father, I pray that you give us opportunities this week, even, to be generous. Father, whether it's to a, a person that we interact with, whether it's towards uh, a local nonprofit that's doing incredible work, whether it's our church family, whatever it may be, Father, would you help us make it less about us and more about you? So, Father, as we sing this last song and we're reminded about how you are more than enough, how you will provide exactly what we need, and how we can trust you and we can praise you. Would you speak to our hearts? Father, if any of us this morning maybe need to make our, uh, our way back to you, or maybe for the first time need to surrender to you, Father, would we know that all we need to do is ask for your forgiveness, that we would invite you to be the Lord of our life, that, Father, would we know that there is a party going on in heaven for them right now. So Father, speak to us. Give us the courage to follow wherever you call us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.